We're continuing a sermon series through the Psalms. And each week I've invited you guys to read two Psalms a day, Monday through Friday, with the weekend to catch up. Out of those ten Psalms, I'm prayerfully choosing one. And the one for today is Psalm 57. And instead of reading the whole thing, I actually just want to read half of it. But we're going to cover the whole thing. So if you would, turn over with me to Psalm 57, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find a pew Bible in front of you. And just flip on over to page 565 and you should land on Psalm 57. Starting in verse 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We normally have Kingdom Kids on Sundays. We have moved to an every other week schedule. So for those little kiddos, we do have extra activity folders in the back they can make use of during the sermon time today. But I want to pause before we dive into Psalm 57 and pray for us. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, as always, we approach the Bible not as a book. Not as good ideas written down by wise people. But God, we come this morning to your word. Spoken through your people. Under the inspiration of your spirit. To tell us about you. To tell us about us. To tell us about hope. To tell us how it is that in your strength. We can make it through any disaster. With a song of praise on our lips. It's not an easy thing for us to do. In our own strength, it's impossible. But we look to you, Lord. We look to you this morning. I know we all come in with a battle that we are waging. It may be a battle in our marriages or with our kids or at work or with our health. With fears that well up within us that we can't seem to quiet down. God, you know what's in every one of our hearts. You know what we bring into this place. You know what weighs on our mind and you know what we have to go back to. When this hour is up. God we can't face any of that without you. So Father even now as we have prayed and asked and invited your Holy Spirit to be in this place. In a time of worship as we come to your word to continue to worship you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Challenge us. Change us. Help us to be different because we have been here today. This we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Psalm 57 just stood out to me. You get to verse 7, and the psalmist says, My heart is steadfast. And I love that word. To be steady. Steadfast. My heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. He's so steadfast, he says it twice. I think that's pretty good. As a result of that, he says, I will sing and make music. My heart is steadfast. Steadfast, steady. I like that reminder from the psalmist to have a steady, calm heart. 
Do any of you find that difficult, though? <laughs> I know I do. There's no doubt about it. It's hard to have a steadfast heart sometimes. But that's where the psalmist is coming from. He says, because of that, I will sing and make music. He's so excited about worshiping God that he says, I'm going to wake up in the morning with praise on my lips. I'm going to wake up in the morning with an attitude of worship. He says, awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. What's he saying? He's saying, as soon as my, hit, my feet hit the floor, I am ready to worship God. It's an incredible attitude to have because sometimes my feet hit the floor and I'd rather just put them back in bed. You know what I mean? I think you do. We all know that feeling. <clears throat> our our fit, feet can hit the floor and we're just thinking about the worries of the day, the troubles, the challenges, all the difficulties. But not this psalmist. His feet hit the floor. He's ready to praise God. Not only is he willing and wanting to praise God in the quietness of his own soul, but but he wants to get the word out. He wants everyone to know how good God is. In verse 9, he says, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. He wants everyone to know how good God is. And we can say God is good, but what does that mean? The psalmist says, let me tell you what it means. Why am I worshiping God? Why am I praising God? Because this is who God is. Verse 10, he says, for great is your love. Great is your love. It's so great that it reaches up to the heavens. I don't know if you remember, there's a third day Mac Powell song that, that sang this verse. And it was beautiful. And I thought I'd sing it. And I thought, no, we've got people that are way better than me. I'm just going to let them handle that part of the service. So that's what I did. But that verse stands out, doesn't it? For great is your love, reaches up to the heavens. But it's your love and your faithfulness. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. This is why God is worthy of worship. This is why we sing the songs. This is why we have hope. Because we have a God who loves us. And who is faithful to us. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes we say that in church and it loses its, its meaning. But let's be honest. I mean, if, if I'm looking in the mirror, I don't see someone who is lovable all the time. I see someone who, you know, Marsha has to pray through the day. You know, that's a challenge to love me sometimes. How about you? Y'all are looking at me like that doesn't apply to you. Come on, be honest. Be honest. We're, we all can be a bit challenging to love sometimes. But no one on earth knows you as well as God. God knows all of it. We can hide bits and parts from other people, but God knows all of it. He sees every little piece of our life, every corner of our heart, every thought that goes through our mind. He knows it all. And if he knows it all, don't you think it would be harder to love us? I think it should be. But for God, it's not. He loves us. Not because we're lovable. And in fact, he loves us when we are unlovable. He loves us so much that he makes us lovable. This is what Jesus is doing for us when he gives his life on the cross. He's taken our sins for us, right? He lived a perfect life that we might get credit for that perfection. What is he doing? Is Jesus is making us lovable. See, the Bible nor God who stands behind the Bible and in the scriptures, he doesn't pretend. He doesn't pretend that you or me are worthy of his love. He just says he loves us. 
in the midst of our sin, the scriptures say that while we were his enemies, he loved us. And how did he love us? Through Christ. Through Christ, he makes us lovable. This is why the psalmist finds it possible to worship. He not only says that, but he says your faithfulness reaches to the skies. That it's God's faithfulness, not ours. Should we be faithful? Absolutely. Did the scriptures command it? Yes. Are there wonderful examples of it and terrible failures of it laid out in the Bible? Absolutely. But the hope we have is not our faithfulness to God. It's God's faithfulness to us. That's what makes it possible for us to be faithful is that God has been faithful to us. Why can we have faith in God at all? Because he is a faithful God. So when the psalmist wakes up in the morning, he says, let's get to worshiping. I will awaken the dawn, awake harp and lyre. I'm going to sing and make music. The psalmist then goes on to say in verse 11, there's nothing more important than you, God. Look at that verse. Be exalted, God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What is he saying? He's saying there's nothing more important than you, God. You're the center of it all. You're the most important one. You and you alone deserve this glory. We are glorified by God. Not within ourselves, not our own abilities, not our own attributes, but God is glorified because that is who he is. He is a God of glory. And the psalmist is saying here, no one, is above God. No one's glory is above God. Nothing in our life is more important than God. And you've heard me say that many times. There's nothing more important in your life than your relationship with God. And the only way to have that relationship is through Christ, who takes unlovable people like us and makes us lovable. There is nothing more important than that. Nothing. Write down all the important things in your life. And God is the most important thing on that list. He's first in everything that shows up on the list. And the psalmist recognizes that. I love verse 7 through 11. But when I read through that, as I've been saying, I hit some moments and I just think, it's kind of pie in the sky, right? I mean, it just kind of sounds, I mean, he's just kind of looking at life through these rose-colored lenses and everything's fine, everything's great. We just wake up singing and we're all happy and praise God and there's no problems, right? Everything is good. Obviously, he didn't write it during a pandemic, right? No. No, it's actually worse than that, at least for him personally, because I've been saying the psalmist, but the clear indication is this was either written by are written on behalf of King David. It was written by or on behalf of King David in a very particular part of his life. Now, you may know <clears throat> a little bit of the story of King David. But David was chosen by God to be the second king over Israel because the first king, Saul, had been unfaithful to a faithful God. And so God chose King David to replace him. Well, King Saul didn't take that lightly, right? It upset him greatly, so much to the point that he wanted King David dead, or the one who was appointed to be king dead. King Saul wanted the to become King David dead. And he would chase him down, try to find him, try to hunt him down, try to make sure that that didn't happen. 
Now we get the hint from the note above the psalm where it says, when he fled from Saul into the cave. You see that above verse 1, below the heading Psalm 57? When he fled from Saul into the cave. Now, what's funny is, <clears throat> that didn't happen once. It happened twice. Uh, 1 Samuel 22 and 1 Samuel 24, you have David hiding from Saul in a cave. That was the circumstance of his life. God had chosen him to be king, but the king who sat on the throne wanted him dead, and he's on the run for his life. And he wrote this psalm. Now, when I realized that, all the things I love in verse 7 through 11, I realize is possible then. It's possible to live verse 7 through 11 because David's explaining his situation and how challenging it is in verses 1 through 6. I see that. And I say, hey, that's pretty good news. So when I look in this psalm, I see five things that David did that we can do that will help us survive a disaster. Look at verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. And as has been said about storms or disasters in life, we're either in one, we're coming out of one, or we're heading into one. Disaster comes. We've all experienced it. Maybe a relational disaster, maybe a workplace disaster, maybe a health disaster. There's a long list of disasters we can face in this life. We've talked about what David's disaster looked like, what he was going through. But the psalm itself is not that specific. It makes it more general, as the psalms often do, so that it can apply to all of us. Yes, that was the particular setting in history, David on the run from Saul hiding in caves, but this applies to all of us who have experienced disaster, who are going through a disaster, or who, we may know it or not, are heading into one. Five things that we see David doing here that I think will help us and what is amazing or what's remarkable to, to me about this is how unremarkable these things are. They're actually just kind of the ordinary Christian life. It's not all that complicated. They're very basic. Which means we can do it. And we can have the same outcome as David did. So what does he do? The first thing he does as he reaches out to God in prayer, he talks to God about it. We can go to social media and complain about it. We can call up our friends and gripe about it. We can walk around and just worry ourselves to death about it. Or we can reach out to God and pray about it. That's what this is. The Psalms are often called not only a song book because it was sung, but a prayer book because they were prayed. This is a prayer, just as it is a song found in the scriptures. So David here is praying to God. He's saying, God, have mercy on me. He's saying, I take refuge in you. I'm hiding under your wings until the disaster passes. He says, I'm crying out to God. He's the one who vindicates me. He says, God sends help from heaven to save me. He prays. That God would rebuke his enemies. He prays that God would send forth his love and faithfulness. He is talking to God about the disaster. 
It's amazing to me how many times I can find myself in out of going into a disaster and I find that I haven't talked to God about this. How's that possible? How's it possible that I haven't prayed to God about it? But we can. We can worry so much about it. We can game plan for it. We can talk and complain about it. But are we talking to God about it in prayer? The second thing is this prayer naturally leads to worship, which we've talked about already, but it's worth pointing out again. He says, I will sing and make music. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing among the peoples. This is verse 7 and 9. That he chooses to worship. You know, sometimes we worship because we feel it. We feel like singing and worshiping God. But I want to encourage you, don't worship God when you feel like it. Like the psalmist here, when your feet hit the floor, begin to worship God. Hide a song in your heart. There may be a song that you love, a hymn, a praise, contemporary song, a song from Scripture. Hide that in your heart. Let that be the song you sing when you wake up. Let that be on your lips. Let that be on your mind. Listen to worship music. Put it on the radio. Put it in your CD player or your, or your uh, iTunes list or whatever. Let worship through song permeate your life. Listen, all we do is worship unto God when we lift it up to him. But there's something about worship and song. It's a gift God's given us. Didn't you feel it? From the special music through the worship and song, didn't you feel something about that was special? Because God's given us the gift to worship him in song. Make that a part of your life. It was a part, it was a big part of David's life. He was, a, he was a musician, he was a songwriter. He connected with God. Listen, you may not have the best voice, you may not be a musicianist at all. That's fine. That's fine. You can worship God with joy in your heart, and it doesn't matter at all how you sound. But there's something powerful about worshiping God through music that helps us in the midst of disaster. The third thing. So the first is to pray. The second is to worship. The third is to trust God's love and faithfulness to you. We see it twice. David uses it at the beginning of the psalm and he uses it again at the end of the psalm. He's praising God, trusting his love and faithfulness to us. At the end of verse 3, God sends forth his love and faithfulness. Verse 10 we read earlier, great is your love, your faithfulness. See what I said earlier that God has made you lovable, do you believe it? When I said earlier, you can trust God, do you believe it? Do you embrace that? Do you speak those truths in your prayers to God? God, I know I can trust you. God, I know you love me. Communicating that truth, embracing that truth, believing that truth. Because when we enter into the world, the world and the enemy wants nothing more than to tear apart those truths. Convincing you that you are not lovable. How could God love you, a sinner? Questioning you. Is God really all that faithful to you? Look at all you're going through. Can you really trust God? If he loved you, would, would he let you go through this? 
If he was faithful, would you have these challenges? I don't know if David ever had those questions, but what I see is he tells himself the truth. Regardless of how he felt, I don't know how he felt about God's love and faithfulness other than he believed it was true. He embraced it as truth. He trusted that God was loving towards him and faithful towards him. And on the other side of the cross, we see how it's possible. And he does that through Jesus. The fourth thing he does, only two left. First, he prays. Second, he worships. Third, he trusts God's love and faithfulness. And fourth, he testifies. Something about communicating the truth of God's word helps us be built up in our faith. As we're testifying to the goodness of God, it does something for us. Have you bared, have, have you bared any testimony about God? It can be so simple as you sit around the dinner table and you pray and you just say, God, thank you. X, Y, and Z. God, you are so good. We see it in X, Y, and Z. It can be a simple way to bear testimony even as you pray around a meal. You share with your friends or your family. How about when someone asks you, how are you doing? You know, and they like really mean it. It's not one of those passing things, you know, and you just say good and you move on. But they really want to know, how are you? It's so easy to think all the negative things that are going on. What if we force ourselves to say, before I talk about my challenges, because it's good to be real about your challenges with your friends who can pray for you and uplift you. What if you go to God's blessings first? What if you praise God first? What if you bear testimony to the goodness of God first? Again, verse 9, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. What would it look like for in your life to bear that kind of testimony to the people around you about the goodness of God? There's something about that that will build us up and enable us to face any disaster that may be coming our way. And the fourth, or the fifth and final thing, first he prayed, then he worshiped. He trusts God's love and faithfulness. He gave testimony to God's love and faithfulness to all who would listen. And then again, Twice he talks about number five. He glorifies God above all. He glorifies God above all. Verse five, he says it. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Says the exact same thing in verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What is he communicating? God's at the center and worthy of glory. Now, glory in the Old Testament uh, Hebrew language meant heaviness, a weightiness. What's he saying? God is most important. God is more important than our comfort. God is more important than our safety. God is more important than our fleeting happiness. God is more important than the things that we may want or wish we had. God's more important than our bank account or what sits in our driveway or what house we pull up to. God is more important than our success in our workplace. He's more important than our reputation among friends and family or the community. What David's saying is, I'm putting God at the center. He's the one that matters most. Heaviness, glory, he is the one that matters most. See, when I get anxious in a disaster and I don't want to do any of this stuff, it's because I put me at the center. 
I've glorified myself. I've made myself the center of my universe. And when I do that, all the problems I face become really big. And God becomes really small. And if I want a recipe for falling apart in the midst of disaster, it's to do just that. Put myself in the center. Make my problems big and make God small. David's literally on the run for his life. And he utters these words. How did he come out of this? He put God at the center. God was heaviest. God mattered most. God was most important. Everything else comes after that. And I think the same is true for us. The disaster we face, David's honest. He names it. He says, this is a disaster. God, you've made me king, and here I am, and I'm on the run by the king I'm supposed to replace. He's honest about it. He doesn't pretend like it's not happening. But he makes sure it's in the right proportion. I've got this problem. It's a serious one. But I've got this God, and he's a big one. So I think we can learn from David that when we pray, when we worship, when we trust, when we testify, and when we glorify by God putting him in the center of our life, making him the most important thing in our life, then it doesn't matter what disaster we go through. As challenging and as difficult it is, as it is, I think we can make it through. God stands ready to help us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for not hiding the ugly parts about humanity from us, but we see them clearly in your word. David was an imperfect man. And even before he became king, he went through trials that most of us know nothing about. And yet, God, you, you brought him through. He turned to you and you brought him through. And help us to do the same this morning. Help us to just turn to you, trusting you to bring us through, no matter what we face, knowing that you are with us each and every step. That you be glorified in our lives. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. As Jan continues to play just for a moment, we encourage us to respond to God, at least with the first step of prayer. Even now, you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, you can do whatever you want to do, but that if there is disaster going on, whether the threat of it or you're in the middle of it or you just came out of it, that you would pause just for a moment, even now, talk to God about it. Of course, there's always more that God calls us to do. But I think he calls us to do it only after we've prayed it through with him. So would you just share whatever that is with the Lord in prayer now? And of course, just as we saw in David's life, the very right way, to close that time of speaking with the Lord is to worship Him. So Delina's come now and he's, she's going to lead us again in worship as we sing about God's amazing grace that has freed us from the chains of sin and set before us a future that is bright. 
So let's stand together and let's worship.